Hi, everyone. This is Bonnie. You are about to hear an episode that Casey and I recorded a few months ago on the topic of abortion. For a while now, the Arenacast team has talked about doing an episode on abortion because it has been such a huge part of the fabric of our lives as ex-evangelicals and unfundamentalists. It was such a hot button political issue within many of our communities. And there wasn't a lot of conversation going on about it once we had migrated out of those communities. So we wanted to do this episode. However, when we recorded it, that was before Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, died. And now it especially seems really important to have these conversations here on our podcast, but also within our communities. The world looks different now for women's reproductive rights and also for LGBTQ rights as we consider how the Supreme Court may change. So we hope you enjoy this episode and hope that you have these conversations in your own home. It was an honor to do it with my friend Casey. Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are Irenacast. I'm Casey. I'm Bonnie. On the first and third Tuesday of every month, we bring to you our perspectives on theology and culture from a post-evangelical lens. Thank you for joining us for another conversation to provoke your progressive Christian imagination. The boys are on assignment or out to play, and uh, this week, Bonnie and I are uh, having a conversation on a pretty big topic, bum, 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 abortion. And uh, so we recognize that this is kind of a serious topic. Absolutely. And we've actually tried to have this conversation a couple of times on Arenacast in the past. And for various reasons, you know, we started recording a couple of times and we're trying to get guests to join us. And because it's such a big topic, it has been difficult to have this conversation. So Casey, thank you for being willing to have the conversation with me. Of course, Bonnie. And, you know, I just want to start by saying that this is not my experience, right? And so I want to tread lightly as we journey through this. So forgive me if I say dumb things or whatever. You know, that's a part of being in relationship is being able to hold grace for one another and listen and learn. And I think uh, we do that well together. So I'm really honored to be with you in this space. Yeah, me too. What I appreciate most about the fact that it's you and I having the conversation is that uh, sometimes it's just women who have this conversation, and yet uh, abortion is much bigger than just women. Well, and it's not, uh, in some ways, I'm not a stranger to this because my mom was a teenage mom. She was the 17-year-old girl who went into Planned Parenthood and found out she was pregnant and had pro-lifers standing outside the the Planned Parenthood, pulling at her clothes and yelling at her and telling her she was going to hell and to change her mind. I grew up vaguely hearing those stories, but it wasn't until recently when I said that you wanted to talk about this that my mom opened up like a flower and just began to talk about the pain of, of that experience and knowing that she had the opportunity or the option to uh, to have an abortion and for lots of reasons decided not to, I'm well aware of like, I'm here because of her and I get to be in this conversation with you and to speak from her experience. You know, she wrote some notes um, that she wanted to make sure that I shared with you uh, about this. And you and her are pretty close to the same age. And so it's kind of cool to just be in this space with you, mostly because I just love you so much. And we know how to hold space for each other. And this is good. So, Well, yeah, that, that may be a good place to start then, Casey, is like, you know, what is, has your experience been with abortion? And, and a huge uh, thank you to your mom for allowing us to share her story on this episode. Yeah, she is so courageous in so many ways. So my experience of abortion is just like most young people who grew up in the evangelical world, right? You don't have them. They don't exist. And we are going to pray for all the murderers who, uh, you know, have abortions, which is repulsive. 
And so I had a lot of assumptions as a young person about what abortion was. And I remember entering college and one of my closest friends in college, um, my freshman year, we were sitting in her car drinking because you weren't allowed to drink on campus. (laughs) And she shared with me that she had had an abortion and why she had an abortion. What do you say in that moment? And it's like most things that we talk about. Everyone's lives are hypothetical until you're forced to deal with someone's lived reality. And then you think to yourself, like, who who the fuck am I to make that decision for you or to have an opinion about your life, your journey? The decisions you make, they're your outcomes, not mine. And that was so powerful to me because here I was like sort of coming out to this young woman, one of the few people I had come out to that early in the journey, and she wanted to share with me her private stuff. We're just sitting here and it's raining and we're drinking and I'm thinking, this is holy space. And then it's like another moment of like unraveling. So I'm already in the process of deconstructing, right? Because if the church is saying this about homosexuality, what does that mean for other things? And then here is my friend who's like, yeah, I had an abortion because, you know, I was whatever, 17. And the guy I was with was a real asshole. And I didn't feel confident that I was ready to have a child. And just the list was long. And I was like, yeah good for you. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you made it to college. You know, How different would her life have been if she was stuck in that situation? And so that was like the next blow to my what I thought I understood about what it meant to be a Christian. And another blow to the evangelical world that told me that there was this way of being in the world. Because this girl loved Jesus, and she loved me. And that's all I needed. What what more could anyone say, I guess? Mm-hmm. What about for you, Bonnie? Well, you know, I, I have, uh, have, haven't shared this story publicly until very recently, until the Trump administration calling for states and other people to go ahead and roll back abortion rights, reproductive rights for women. When that started happening across the country, I felt compelled to share my own story, my own abortion story. And I I did so actually at church in the pulpit for the first time and then on Facebook, because of course, everything, everything gets shared on Facebook, right? Before I could go public, I had to talk with my own sons about my story. I was uh, 17 when I got pregnant. And sex edu- sexuality education in, in my former community as I grew up uh, was severely lacking. So people were having sex, but they had no idea what they were doing and how pregnancy worked exactly. So I found myself pregnant at, at 17. And I remember it being the most lonely experience that I think I've ever had in my life. It's such a it's such a pivotal moment knowing that you're pregnant because what you decide in the next few weeks, sometimes days, is going to impact the entire future of your life. And I had just started college. I had visions of who I wanted to be someday. I had visions of the family that I wanted to have someday and the kids that I wanted to have. So I chose abortion and I did so in a very lonely way. I didn't tell any of the adults in my life. The only person I told was my partner. And it was like this big secret that we never really talked about until, like I said, just recently. And I'm, I'm 50, 51 So, so much shame and stigma around that choice for a long time because of the messages that we got. You can't be a Christian and have an abortion or there's something, something that was connected to the character of myself as a human because I made that choice. And it took a long time to deconstruct that and to begin to heal from, from all of those messages. I mean, you carried that for like over 30 years. Yeah. 
for 30 years, you lived in the closet, basically, with this truth. What's interesting, I think, is about abortion is that it is the woman's decision, in my opinion, for sure. And I think anyone who believes that women are people has this opinion, more or less, that it's a woman's decision to decide what happens to her own body. However, uh, we are not islands moving throughout the world. We are individuals connected to many other stories. And so I knew that even though that decision happened when I was 17, I knew that that story would impact my kids down the road. That story, like your mom's story, you know, has impacted you. Yeah. I mean, the weight of these decisions, I think, is it's huge. So if you don't mind sharing, like, uh, how did the boys respond? What what was their response to you? Uh, they both said, thank you. Thank you. I'll have to say, through therapy and other uh, ways, through my own meditation and my own time with myself, I have done the work, I think, more or less of going back and talking to my 17-year-old self and thanking her and and telling her that she she did the right thing, she made the right decision, however lonely it felt at the time. But to hear my kids say thank you, it added a whole different layer of, of healing. I knew that when I held my oldest son, uh, Julian, for the first time in my arms, that his little infant body was the first little infant body that I was meant to hold as a mother. And I knew that when I held him, it just, it sort of washed away a lot of the shame that I had been carrying to that point. But then to hear him all these years later say, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad I'm your, your firstborn child. Um, yeah, it just, it, it brought a different level of healing. Totally. Totally. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I wonder, like, you, you had sort of said that there was not a lot of sex education in your previous context. So did you have the experience of having protesters outside of, outside of Planned Parenthood, like my mom did? Um, yes, there were protesters outside. Uh, that, that whole day was <laughs> like a blur, I'm sure. <laughs> it's, no, it's good to revisit it, I think, uh, because I think it's really important for people to, to understand what it means to get an abortion. First of all, to make the choice for your own life, to make the choice for your own life, to value one's own life enough to make a decision to terminate a pregnancy. In my opinion, anyways, it is, it is pro-life. It's pro-my life. And so I knew that I was going to have to perhaps walk through protesters in order to get into the Planned Parenthood clinic where I received the abortion. I was like really prepared. I had kind of walled myself off to whatever was around me uh, in order to get from the car to the door. So I tuned it out. I know that there were people out there because there were people out there all the time. And this was back east where this happened. But yeah, the day the day was a, a blur in a lot of ways. It was, you know, 17. <laughs> I was not emotionally, spiritually, or psychologically mature enough to, to really be able to process it as I experienced it. Yeah. As we talk about this, I'm just thinking about an ethical framework around abortion. You know, I you already said this, and I thought this was so beautiful. Like, I'm pro-life. I'm pro-my life. We're in a time when people um, want to talk about being pro-life. Um, I'm not going to go off on a too far of a tangent, you know, just maybe like three sentences about like what it means to be pro-life. Because the same people that are hooting and hollering outside of Planned Parenthood about being pro-life are the same people who are standing on our state capitol steps with rifles in their hands who are saying, let the economy continue and let, you know, 
Uncle George and Grandma June die. So I'm always fascinated by pro-life messaging, and especially Christian politicians who say things like, I'm pro-life and Christian, until they're caught with the mistress who has the pregnancy and then wants to have an abortion. And so I think that it would be really interesting for us to think about some universal a universal framework around what does it mean to talk about these things. Yeah. And and also, you know, I completely agree with you, Casey. To me, it feels really ironic. It's like a an unreconcilable difference to be pro-gun and then also call oneself pro-life. Like that's difficult for me to understand. But I but I also, you know, I know that there are folks out there who are against abortion and aren't pro-gun. Like, I I know that there's a group of people who really do see an anti-abortion stance. You know, they're also against capital punishment. They're also against the proliferation of guns all over our country. They're against a lot of things. And they're against abortion because they do see abortion as a, a kind of ending of life. We can, I think, approach this conversation with the complexity that it brings to the conversation. And so, yeah, an ethical framework. What would be some universals that we can all agree on, regardless of where we come to, how we come to this abortion question? If we're going to say that we are pro-life and we are supporting women having the right to choose, if they choose to keep their child, shouldn't they have access to universal child care? Because some of these things, right, the very first thing that you would think, I imagine, again, this is not my experience, but if I choose to have this child, my hopes and dreams to go to college are gone. How am I going to afford to have a baby in the hospital when we know that medical bills are astronomical? How is my child going to eat? If we want to talk about what does it mean, to, like what are some universals and how we honor and support families or women who have the right to make these decisions, then let's also talk about what would be helpful ways of making sure that if they want to make the decision to have this child, that they are able to have it. Right. Yeah, I think I think for sure. I, I, I don't wish the experience of abortion on anybody. It was it was a hard experience to go through. Maybe most people would say that it would be nice to live in a world where there was less abortion. And one way to have less abortion is to have a lot more supports around people who make the decision to carry their pregnancy to term and then bring a an infant into a baby into the world. You know, there's then what I hear then a lot of times is we'll we'll give up the child for adoption. You know, uh, folks could say, well, you could still go to college. You could still live out your your dreams and your aspirations. Just there are a lot of families who would be happy to take that child off your hands. Yeah, like uh, all those states that say that gay people can't adopt children. If you are pro-life and there's a massive amount of young people in, in foster care and are looking to be adopted and you're limiting the people who uh, who are willing to raise up these young people and provide f- love and support and a great home, oh, but those people are not included. They they don't get to uh, do that. So yeah, I think that's a, a great thing. You, there has to be support, including allowing access for all people who want to to adopt uh, and foster. Allowing that to be a possibility for sure. Right. And also, if you choose not to carry the pregnancy to term, that should be a valid decision that one does not have to feel like they they should pay for that decision for the rest of their lives. That's right. And have to hold on to it for 30 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, you know, the experience of being pregnant and then even choosing to give your child up for, uh, I mean, it's like even these words that we use, like give your child up. For adoption, or I, I mean, like, what are the words even <laughs> that, that to use in relationship to these things? But that has a huge impact on somebody's life, a huge impact. 
So it's not as simple as nine months of carrying a child and then delivering a child and you move on as if nothing had ever happened. It doesn't work like that. Totally. So talk to me about uh, protecting and valuing the sanctity of all human lives. Well, I think that's a universal, right? That should that should be a moral or ethical universal. And that's not saying that these questions aren't complicated. You know, sometimes we make decisions based on the best we can do in the situation that we're in. We have to honor ourselves when we make decisions like that. The sanctity of all human life. Some humans are are actually breathing and walking the planet. And I think in all of the faith traditions, they would say that you honor those humans first. Those are the people that are in the world and their needs should be met first. Wait, so are you saying that we spend more time worrying about fetuses than children who are in cages on the border? That's part of what I'm saying. But I I also like terminating a pregnancy early in pregnancy. You know, science helps us understand that that's not a fetus. That's a, a mass of cells that are, yes, reproducing. And the truth is, oftentimes, women can become pregnant and not even know they're pregnant. And that fertilized egg is shed in, in their menstrual cycle. And I, I think I was like really astonished at the, the number of times that that actually happens. And as far as I know, nobody looks at that, ex- that particular experience as being somehow shameful or immoral or wrong. It's just part of nature. So yes, I would say that it's pretty hard to hold up a, a policy putting children in cages and and uh, somehow being really clear that abortion is wrong, but it's okay, morally okay, to put children in cages. Like, how, I'm not sure how that gets reconciled. Right, especially when we're talking about valuing life. Yes. So, uh, I, you know, a lot of times people talk about this all being biblical. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm curious, Casey, like, where do you... How do you draw from your own Christian understanding of how things work and God and Jesus and whatever um, in relationship <laughs> whatever, to this issue? Yeah. I really believe in agency and dignity. I believe that that is like central to our faith. How many times does Jesus come to someone and say, what do you need? What do you want? You make the decision. Rarely does Jesus do anything without someone um, speaking on their own behalf. Because I think that for Jesus, it was essential that that person vocalize what it was that they needed. And, And there are lots of moments in scripture where people come before Jesus and say, judgments have already been made about who this person is. And Jesus says, so what? Like, it's none of your damn business. Whatever they and God decide is between them and God. Over and over again, I see that. So it's about dignity and people choosing for themselves what will what they seek to make them whole. I mean, like we were talking about earlier, like, I was choosing my life. I knew that the life that I wanted did not include this moment. And for you to hold Julian and say, this is the life. Like, this is the way and the life that is abundant, is really a powerful message and is central to what I believe about what it means to be a Christian. And the second part of that, which is in relation, is that Jesus is always talking about the abundance of life. The moment is now, and we are to live into this moment fully. And the only way to do that is to be honest about where you are. Agency matters. And when you have the right to, to say what you need, to be clear about your purpose and vision, and to be able to, to do that, that is what it means to be a Christian. Yeah, I think about the encounters that Jesus had with 
women. Like I, I think about the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, and also uh, in the same gospel, John, uh, the the woman who was caught in adultery, as as the text is translated, and how in both times it's clear that these women are sort of they're in this web of patriarchal structure that they have to move about and within. And they're trying to make the decisions as best as they can in relationship to that structure that they've inherited and that they have to figure out what to do. Having the capacity to make a decision about one's own body, but also reproductive choice, is, is that agency that you're talking about. I think what it does is it, it frees women for a second, at least from those patriarchal structures. And it says that women are capable of being moral human beings. You can trust them with the decision about what is right for them in the situation. And so when we take that away, it's sort of like taking away a person's personhood. I think trusting yourself is essential. I really didn't want to bring up the woman at the well and the woman caught in adultery because one of the things that really pisses me off about Christianity is how often who we point to in scripture to talk about this or to talk about women in general are people that are assumed harlots. When evangelicals talk about women in scripture, they're talking about women who needed a savior, who needed someone to see their misbehavings and be forgiven for them. I would say that's one reading of the story. You know, another reading of the story, right, is that Jesus said to the woman, tell people about me, which means that Jesus not only trusted the woman enough to live her own life the way that she needed to, but also trusted her enough to say, tell the story about me, too. So she was she was one of the first commissioned preachers. That's right. And I and let me be clear, that's not my interpretation of those scriptures. I'm just saying that like um anybody who's listening, it's noteworthy to notice that like where do we go when we want to talk about women and scripture and how those stories are told because the story that you offer, the interpretation that you and I have around that scripture is a lot different than the one that many young women received. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I want to go back to this idea of talking about trusting yourself, because again, that's something that that I think really is uh, rooted in Scripture. How many times does Jesus look to the disciples and say, it's within you. The kingdom of God is here, and now trust, just trust it. I think that that's another major piece of this in terms of talking about patriarchy, is that the assumption is, is that women are not to be trusted. Yes, that's exactly what this is about. And it it certainly doesn't reflect, I don't think anyway, Jesus's interactions with women, which is the only reason I can still claim the identity Christian at all is because of of the way that I read Jesus's interactions with women, which is yeah, they there's an agency there that he affirmed and acknowledged even though they were in systems where they were people's property. They were men the property of men. It's still that way. I was just talking to a realtor the other day that said it is still common that when someone buys a house, the man's name is always first. When when you look at the deed to a home, the man's name is first mo- most of the time, which blows my mind because we know that most men are going to die before their wives anyway. So uh, I don't, you know, I don't understand. <laughs> it's going to be theirs long after the man's gone. But again, like when we talk about why does this benefit us politically? And by us, I mean cisgendered, straight men, uh, because that's mostly who it benefits. What do you think the benefits are in terms of patriarchy? Why do they hold this so closely? I think there was a very concerted strategic effort on the part of the religious right the thing that's really sad is that there are so many casualties along the way because of that. You know, and I think purity culture is another uh, movement that like so much suffering because there was an opportunity by uh, people who wanted power 
to take a couple of issues, um, same-sex marriage, just having sex outside of marriage at all, purity culture, and abortion. And they lumped all of that kind of together and said, we can we as we can get a lot of the fringe Christians, I, I think really, to join forces over these issues. And then we can take over political power across the land. I've been reading this book that I commend to anybody who's interested in learning something about the history of um religious nationalism and the rise of it in the United States. It's called The Power Worshippers by Catherine Stewart. And I was reminded of like Billy Graham. Billy Graham in 1968 said, I believe in Planned Parenthood. What? I bet most people don't know that. What? Yeah. And in fact, the most liberal abortion law in the country was signed in 1967 by Ronald Reagan when he was governor of California. Folks got together after the Equal Rights Amendment died in, in Congress. A group of, of people, of religious nationalists, got together and uh, they said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to make abortion our issue. And this is how we're going to change Protestant American minds to believe that abortion is killing. And we're going to get our youth to rise up and to to carry pictures of you know that are completely misrepresentations of what's actually happening inside of of a woman's body um during pregnancy and we're going to get this rallying cry together and we're going to take over this land and we're going to do it by appealing to the masses in these really dishonest ways frankly wow i've never known christians to be dishonest bonnie this is really eye opening <laughs> for me when we think about uh, who benefits, I mean, it's very clear who is harmed, right? I mean, especially when you talk about purity culture. And I remember like a lot of the young women that I went to high school with who were having anal sex, not knowing what they were doing, um, and having to go to the hospital and all sorts of crazy stuff because they thought that that maintained their purity, that that, main- that maintained their 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 virginity. And so, again, it's like we are leaving women in such a vulnerable place. We're killing them. How many women have died because they had these, like, back alley abortions? Or how many of their souls have died, basically, because they feel like they've murdered? And like you said, it's not just them, right? That They are not an island to themselves, but the relationships, the people. Like, this impacts everyone. Yeah. I was just saying, and it just seems so wrong to use young people in this way. It's so manipulative. And I know, I know, I know that there are youth groups that are gathering, like probably as we speak, to be, you know, fighters for Christ. So it's a combination of that without sexuality education at all. And then what happens when an accidental pregnancy? occurs. Then the woman is left in this isolated place, nobody to talk to, nobody to go to, feeling complete shame and loss. You know, there, there are times when women choose abortion because they already have three or four children and they can't add another child to their responsibility, their load of responsibility. Because they want to make sure that the children that they have can have what they need growing up. I mean, there's like so many reasons why giving women reproductive choice is in the best interest of everybody. And we shouldn't have to argue this. No. You know what I mean? Like, and sadly we do, and I get it. But it just makes me so frustrated. This should be a non-issue, that women should have the right to make decisions for their own bodies. I'm baffled by this idea that women have to basically fight for their right to make decisions about their own body. Right. I I completely agree with you. I think the question of 
and and this is like really low this is you know super loaded word but i think it's the way that it's referred to in the public space is abortion is equated with murder i i'd love to and casey i get this question from you like i'd love to hear people say well how did you come to that conclusion <laughs> right helping people maybe understand a little bit about their the their the history of how this particular issue came to be such it, it came to be the tool that people who are hungry for power and control are able to use because lots of people aren't questioning why 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 is it this particular issue all of a sudden that seems to um be the hot button issue why are we teaching our kids to go out with duct tape and stand in front of abortion clinics like what is it that we are hoping is going to to how is that going to benefit them that's right especially when those same kids with duct tape on their mouths by the way have no idea how sex even really happens right like, like, uh, did you ever, I'm sure you saw Jesus Camp, you know, I mean, um, uh, so triggering. Yeah, well, I lived part of that. You right. probably did yeah. too. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and I look at those young people, and I literally think every time I've seen it, how their worlds will fall apart. I mean, because mine did. My world fell apart when everything that I believed and everything that they had me doing and saying and behaving no longer worked. Sorrow fills my heart for these children that I'm looking at, literally children, um, that I'm looking at on TV who are talking in tongues, swaying back and forth, praying to Almighty God that abortion end tomorrow, knowing that, I mean, statistically, any one of them will end up in Planned Parenthood, all alone and deathly afraid because the community that swore that no matter what happened in life, they would be there with them. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you come to this altar and you'll have a family forever. They know in that moment that that family that they said loved them and supported them will not be there. Right. And then you, yeah, then you have to ask the question, so who benefits then? That's right. And who suffers? Right. And who suffers? Yeah. Like, that is real sin. Like, I don't like to use that language. I know for many of our listeners, it's probably really triggering. But when you want to talk about what real sin is, you have sent people to the shadows, to the darkness. You have left them alone in the world. At least they feel that way. They certainly are not, right? But I'm sure you didn't feel that way sitting in Planned Parenthood. I'm sure you didn't feel surrounded with love and support and knew that 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 whatever your decision was, the community would be there for you. No, I, I think if I had felt that way, it wouldn't have taken me 30 years to be able to talk That's about right. it. That's I mean, it's, right. it's giving voice to that experience has taken a very long time because of the stigma and the shame that even though I could potentially make peace with it within myself, I didn't know how my community was going to take it. And and even my mom, right? My mom made a different choice, but my mom still, I never heard that story about her going to Planned Parenthood. I never heard that story because I'm sure for her, it evoked pain. Absolutely. And she she was probably sitting in the waiting room next to other girls her age or other women in different stages of their life who were making a different choice. And she knew that. So yeah, so so she she talked about having to walk past people on her way into the clinic and um how that impacted her. Right. And and talked about like the feeling of complete terror. She basically was saying like you know, I the my period came every month like clockwork whether I wanted it to or not, it was there and then it wasn't. And her going in and hearing from the nurse, like, you're pregnant. And my mom saying she just felt like the world stop for a moment, you know? And her sort of like either fight or flight response was to run down the stairs. She literally, I guess she just like left Planned Parenthood. 
And as she was leaving, that's when all these people were, were preaching outside of the Planned Parenthood. And she said that she just, she felt so angry because she thought, you know, how dare you protest family planning? Because this place has helped her and so many other girls for years that this was the one place they actually could go to tell the truth of their life. This was real confession. When there was no other place for them to go and tell the truth of what was happening in their lives, when there was no other place that they could discern, there was no other place where someone believed them and gave them a voice in their own bodies, this was the place you chose to to protest, to stand outside of? Yeah, I th- I think that that was a, a really powerful moment for her. So what is it like for you as her son to hear your mom talk about this experience and and this this pregnancy that she continued was you, right? So what is it like? Well, first of all, I'm sure you know that I'm such a mama's boy anyway. I'm grateful for her every day for the way that she loves me and always has showed up for me. I'm grateful for her courage. And I know that if she would have made another choice, I would have been grateful either way. Uh, Because my mom is a great human. (laughs) Just hearing her story finally, like her finally sharing this with me, just reminds me of how courageous and strong she is. I used to say, even as a young person, like that I was a feminist. Like I've always been pro women because of the women in my life. You know, my mom, my grandma um, are some of the most badass people I know. And they've had to stand up for themselves. You know, my mom, uh, like I said, you know, it's really young and young was young when she had me. Uh, I remember her coming home from, she used to work at Ace Hardware and she was in charge of the power tools. And she would come home some days and say, like, that men would walk up to her and be like, I need someone to help me with the power tools. And she'd say, oh, that's me. And they'd say, no, I want to talk to a man. A man would come over and they'd say, hell if I know, talk to Dana. And the pride that she had in her voice of, like, eat those words. So I've always known that my mom is strong. I've always appreciated her courage in the world. But to like have her write down her experience and have her tell it to me just reiterates how strong she is. And I think that that's true for all women. Like that is that is what breaks my heart the most is that young women from a young age are trained to question themselves in a way that boys are not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and thank you for saying that. I think that's really true and probably not at all said enough that, that, that transition. I, you know, just in conversations with other girls and women, there's something that happens between childhood and puberty to a woman's own voice. You can be a fierce, uh, little girl who can, is ready to take the world on. And then something, something happens. You know, there's this transition that happens and all of a sudden, there's a vibrancy in raising your hand in school and the teacher just doesn't call on you as much. And you start to wonder, like, am I good at math? Am I good at science? Uh, maybe that's more a man's territory. And I wish we could say that this was all happening in a bygone era. But, you know, we're both in youth ministry. We know that it's it's still very present in the reality of of girls. And um, now, even as our kids, which gives me great hope, our younger, our younger generation is really busting up some of these traditional gender norms. Some of what we're seeing in this like return to what feels like really old ways of being is, is the backlash because they're busting up the way we understand gender at all. And there are these forces out there that have power that are saying, oh, no, not so fast. We're going to keep you from doing that. We're going to keep women in the kitchen or whatever and men in the power tool section because they just can't stand to imagine the world any differently or something. I don't know. Right. Because it does not, it does not serve them. It threatens them and their position. 
I mean, I know that you and I, have, we do lots of you stuff together, you know? So many times, Bonnie, I can't tell you how many times I've heard a young woman call themselves trash or ugly or stupid. And one of the things that I'm always committed to is putting my youth girls in leadership. And when they say they can't, I give them more. Because they can. They they have the capacity. It's the people in my life who took me out of that comfortable place and who said, I see something in you that allowed me to be the person I am today. And so it's just continuing for me. It's like, as we continue to raise up young people, it's equipping them to say everything you need is within you. Trust yourself. Yes. And, And then to say to the broader community, you know, trust women that that truthfully at least if we if we look at things like murder women are far less likely to commit murder than men are so if we're if we're going to uh look at the more at moral questions and wonder like who might be able to make some of these moral decisions in a way that benefits as many people as possible perhaps women could be trusted with that choice and especially in regard to their own bodies and their own lives and their own relationships, they will know the right thing to do. Yeah. I think one thing to say is that, you know, when we talk about the issue of abortion, what we really realize is that by talking about this issue, we uncover so many other issues, underlying issues, surrounding issues, of worth and justice and trust. And so you can't really have a conversation about abortion without having a conversation about gender and sexuality and about homophobia and about um, economics and patriarchy, right? Economics. Um, because we, we know for sure um, who has access to abortions and who does not have access to abortions. I mean, like, we know that 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 young young people who uh, live in very affluent places have a easier way to access abortions than people who who are living in poverty, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I remember in my own story trying to figure out how I could put together, you know, a few twenty dollar bills, borrowing money actually, so that I had the money that I needed to to not have to talk to any grownups, but just to uh, go to the clinic and pay cash for a, a procedure that I needed to have done. So yes, I completely agree with you, Casey. Economics is a huge part of the equation and access. I mean, not just economics, but like where, how far do you have to drive? Is there a, a place in your community where it's safe? where you know that you know, you're putting your body in the hands of these people and that it'll be safe to do so. And not everybody has access to that. I, I understand that we are coming from a pretty progressive place on this, but we are only being as progressive as 1960, whatever the hell you said. So let's be clear that we're not leading the charge on being pro-abortion in this new way. When Billy Graham uh, and Ronald Reagan were forefathers to Planned Parenthood and the most progressive uh, abortion rights in the country, so I want to come from a sympathetic place of if you un- if you consider this murder, I would just say science and Billy Graham and Ronald Reagan disagree with you, and maybe I would invite you into into wondering why you have those opinions and where do they come from. Uh, That's what all of us are asked to do when we're faced with a moral question. Where does my information come from? Who is telling me the, the information that I have? Is this, was this handed to me or did I learn this? Yeah. And I'm thinking of the, the women out there who perhaps had an abortion like I did as a teenager and maybe didn't tell anybody or maybe told a, a few people or but mostly held it really close and uh stayed in the shadows 
in regard to this who are still experience. There. Yeah, or who, who are still there or they know somebody, but it's always been like the secret. What I want to say is that my hope is that some of the information science and information about history and even just in one's own relationship with the beyond, however we relate to love or grace or goodness or justice, that you can come to a place where you get to feel some redemption. It was the right thing for you in that moment. You, you were doing nothing except honoring your life, doing nothing except trusting yourself. And that is exactly what God asks of us. If you have a relationship with God or you, you hold on to a theology. So, yeah, I guess I would, I would hope that folks could find some peace. Yeah. I asked my mom, you know, if you could say one thing to your 17 year old self, because I'm sure there's a multitude of things that you would want to say, what would it be? And she said, do what feels right for you and be kind to yourself. Well, Bonnie, I guess that will do uh, do it for us this week. You can find links to all the references that we talked about in our show notes on our website, terenicast.com slash 176. And please join us on Monday, October 12 at 5 p.m. Pacific time to continue the conversation with the entire Arenacast team. If you enjoy Irenicast and would like to join the work we are doing, please consider donating to our PayPal link at irenicast.com slash PayPal. We are committed to keeping the show free for listeners, but there are costs involved and your financial support helps us. Uh, so that's irenicast.com slash PayPal. Irenicast is also a nonprofit organization, so your don- donations are tax deductible. For in- more information on how to support or-, or how to partner with the show, please go to irenicast.com slash support. And some of those ways include our Amazon affiliate link and, of course, our merch. So you can also support the show by simply making sure you've subscribed to the show on whatever app you listen uh, or whatever platform allows for you to hear our show. And then please leave a rating and review. So thanks for being with us this week. I'm Bonnie. I'm Casey. Thanks for joining joining the the conversation. Thank you.